0: Hi there. I'm Wyatt Stahl, and I'm here to reveal what SICD technology is, where it's headed, and most importantly, why you should be paying attention. This episode is an excerpt of the recent interview I had with Dr. Martin C. Burke, a cardiac electrophysiologist and respected authority on the clinical applications of cardiac defibrillation. This is Leading the Charge. When we think about this product, it's moving from the niche to now being the norm. You've seen this process technically going on, and you were involved with the R&D process, especially from sensing and reducing inappropriate shocks over time. Could you just walk us through that? Tell us more about that story and what you saw.
1: Really, the first foray into that for me was in the early 2000s, where I started to work on the sensing subcutaneous. I always thought it was funny that we had all these devices that we were putting in subcutaneously, but we never used any of that information towards making sensing better. We really move the dial, not just on defibrillation, but in the sensing. Mm-hmm. It's extremely well done and an amazing sensing device, considering the signal processing capabilities of ICDs in the early 2000s compared to the later 2000s, early 2010s, and you know, if you asked me in 2005 if we were going to be able to sense as well as we do today, that was that was a non-starter. We didn't even have the processor speed to be able to do that. We were actually collecting data for 30 seconds of events in order to do our validation testing for the sensing algorithm. Wow. Okay. Luckily, as we went into clinical trials for regulatory, you can see that the the time to shock was 14 to 15 seconds. It was cut in half just with processor speed and the ability to uh, understand the, the subcutaneous electrogram.
0: I'm very surprised at all the work you had done in that initial development of the product.
1: This goes back to discussions I had with Gus Barty early on. Gus is an unbelievable forward-thinking physician, scientist, researcher, innovator. And for Gus, it was always keep it simple from an engineering standpoint. And really, if you're talking about a defibrillator, it's really about defibrillation. You know, it's not about treating ventricular tachycardia. And he's been on that forever. I mean, that goes all the way back to Scudheft. He never thought of the ICD as a pacing device or, you know, anything. He saw it as a workhorse for defibrillation and that this was the most amazing thing that you could do for somebody to take away in seconds this life-threatening arrhythmia. What
0: have you seen in terms of the efficacy of the SICD since sudden cardiac death prevention is what this device is all about?
1: In the SICD, we have not seen any degradation in its ability to be efficacious at sensing and defibrillating. It's been extremely good at that. That is a no-problem situation with this device. And if you look at just mortality rates, because early on, the patient population wasn't as sick with heart failure, the mortality rates were amazing. They were much lower than what we had seen in some of the contemporary transvenous ICD groups. Those groups had a lot more heart failure, a lot more advanced pump dysfunction, and even in certain cases, conductive disease that was leading to a lot of heart failure. From a regulatory standpoint, we met our objective performance criterion with the FDA by tonnage in terms of looking at uh, efficacy with DFT. And that correlated in that data set and then further as it was added into the post-approval study where the efficacy is exactly contemporary with the transvenous system. The only difference that we have right now between the two from a defibrillation standpoint is that in order for us to understand the new implanter and their interaction with the implant technique, you have to do DFT testing. I think that as we move forward with the Praetorian XL and with Praetorian DFT mostly, you're going to learn that this device is extremely efficacious whether you do DFT testing or not in its current pulse generator configuration of capacitor battery and configuration of defibrillation uh, waveform. And so the efficacy of that is first and foremost
0: so, what is the inappropriate shock rate today with the SICD if it's properly programmed and you have SmartPass active?
1: Yeah, so right now, you know, with Untouched, can at a 2 to 3% inappropriate shock rate. If you look at our data, it's in the 1% to 2% range. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding of the uh, subcutaneous electrogram and the vectors is probably a little more advanced than most people. But operators need to understand the sensing, you know, and the fact that this is Eindhoven's triangle on its side, that there is three vectors that in the future, and if you implant this lead correctly, the next series of devices will be able to actually check two vectors probably, you know, just because of the speed of the processor. And I think that, you know, once it gets to that point, we should really get down to near 0% inappropriate shock rate. We have to get people much more motivated to understand the sensing and that when you do understand it, you own it as an operator and as a programmer, that you are going to have a much better interaction for your patient and your inappropriate shock rate is going to go down.
0: Since the shock is being delivered across the chest wall, as opposed to having an endocardial lead directly inside the heart... Do you think there's a difference in terms of what happens to the heart itself with transvenous defibrillation versus the SICD?
1: In the regulatory studies, we definitely had to prove that there was not going to be some rhabdomyolytic process and or damage to the heart because one of the reviewers wanted to understand that better. And so we did it in animals and then we also had to do it in the first few patients in the IDE study. And it really demonstrated that there was no damage to the heart when you disperse the electric field across the chest wall compared to data that came out of Ray Eideker's lab in Alabama that demonstrated a lot of troponin leaks. And so when you're looking at intracardiac shocks, the electric field that's created has a lot of density inside the heart and creates a lot of thermal damage to myocardial cells. And this leads to troponin leaks. Now, obviously, it doesn't take into account large-scale infarction, but certainly with the electrodes that are positioned to sandwich the heart, you're seeing that there's no chance even at 80 joules, which is you a know, much higher voltage distributed over time than what you're seeing with transvenous lead systems, you're not getting the kind of thermal damage, and you're also getting a much more effective shock. I've never heard that before. Yeah, so I think that uh, as we move forward in the science of defibrillation with this particular implant platform, there's going to be a lot more flexibility and ability to engineer very specific and directed electric fields that are going to have bigger impact for patients down the line. More importantly, if we can avoid giving multiple shocks and storm situations as we move forward, I think that's going to have a bigger impact on patients' mental status as well as confidence in this device. You know, I think as we get smarter about sensing and event rates and working through event rates and understanding how devices should automatically react to them, I think that's going to have a big impact as well.
0: I think you've covered topics extremely well. I'm really just amazed at your breadth of experience from going you know back to the origin and all that this has taken to get to where we're at now. And pretty remarkable how short of pathway time-wise it's been compared to Venus.
1: Everything in human culture, even in medicine, it's really built on a story. And the story of defibrillation it's a great story, Wyatt. I think if you look at the evolution of the ICD in general, you can see that it really was an amazing therapy to be have an automatic device implanted into somebody that within seconds could convert somebody from a life-threatening arrhythmia, and they can go right back to work. And the enthusiasm around this was really built up on clinical trials that were extremely well-designed, powered and demonstrated the amazing story that you could have with an ICD implanted in specific populations. And that population expanded over time. And the devices very quickly and generationally became smaller. The profile of the leads became smaller. Expansion in utilization to primary prevention and really looking at the average patient population moving from class three to more class one, class two patient populations that have the higher risk of arrhythmias, the less risk of pump failure. And the data just blossomed and the significance compared to standard of care medical therapy was just amazing. And I think that's something that everybody should just grasp onto right away. And I think if the younger electrophysiologists take into account their patient's preferences and this safety data, there's no reason why they wouldn't have this be their primary utilization for sudden cardiac death prevention.
0: Thank you very, very much for sharing all of this information. We really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, my pleasure.
0: that concludes my conversation with Dr. Burke about SICD technology and practice. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. But for now, that'll about do it. Thanks for joining me in Leading the Charge. I'm Wyatt Stahl. Until next time.